This episode contains sensitive content that may not be appropriate for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Mountainland Physical Therapy's Pelvic Health Podcast. I am your host, Madison Splan. Thanks for listening. Today's topic, pregnancy and exercise. We speak with Dr. Susan Horvath, OBGYN. Dr. Horvath is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, received her bachelor's degree from Brown University with a double major in economics and organizational behavior. Her medical degree is from the University of Illinois and residency at the University of Colorado in Denver. Dr. Horvath is also certified in minimally invasive robotic surgery with the Da Vinci Surgical System, specializing in hysterectomies. Thank you for being here today. Great. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners out there, we are going to be talking today about exercise and pregnancy. I really want to be touching on some of those hot topics and some sensitive topics that you know, we kind of try and tiptoe around sometimes, or we know probably aren't the best for us during pregnancy, but we don't know how to approach the topic or maybe initiate an exercise program. So during our conversation today, we're going to go over some of the guidelines put out there by some of the governing bodies. We're going to go over um, exercise prescription and physical therapy, as well as from a gynecologic standpoint. Um, exercise and obesity and starting an exercise program during pregnancy. So I'd like to start off by just reviewing the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology's recommendation for um, contraindications to exercise. So for those listeners, a contraindication means it's an absolute no for exercise, for initiating exercise. And these recommendations are a combination from the ACOG as well as the Canadian clinical practice guidelines. I know within physical therapy as well as gynecology, we kind of blend those two together because we do very high level research with Canada. And so these are their recommendations. And then we will take some asides and ask Dr. Horvath some of her recommendations and what she sees as a clinical standpoint with some of these recommendations. Um, So to start off, Significant heart disease would be a contraindication to exercise. Um, From what I've seen from a physical standpoint, it seems like a lot of those are congenital. What are you seeing with those patients that are wanting to get pregnant that have a heart disease? Yeah, we we will. uh, First of all, I I think exercise and physical activity in general in all phases of life are important. Uh, They need to be modified and tailored to different conditions, uh, different age groups. Uh, And so hitting upon people with cardiac disease, we would work closely with their cardiologists and see what their exercise tolerance is. Um, Generally, um, patients who are uh, thinking of getting pregnant uh, don't have severe cardiac disease. Uh, There are some uh, cardiac conditions that preclude pregnancy and are not uh, pregnancy. Unfortunately, it's not recommended for them. However, those who have some cardiac disease that are uh, cleared to have uh, become pregnant, um, you know, I think again we work get with the cardiologist, see what their exercise tolerance is. They'll probably have had some testing done, um, a, a cardiac stress test on the treadmill, and just see what their um, 
capabilities are. We certainly don't want to maximize or push their aerobic capacity to a level that's dangerous for them or the baby. So I think that we can include exercise in, in cardiac patients, but with close, uh, close care with their cardiologist. Awesome. And I know another um, contraindication to exercise is also restrictive lung disease. And I would say that probably falls into a very similar category, just having those conversations and being in line with what's going on with their um, pulmonologist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then kind of moving down the line, we have um, incompetent cervix or multiple gestation at risk for premature labor. We also have persistent second or third trimester bleeding. I think that's probably one of those that most women understand, and that's a very obvious symptom that's mm -hmm. being seen for the patient. And so I think that one is pretty easy for patients to see. We most likely don't need to take much time to talk about that one. But yeah. what are some of the causes of that? Um, so if we go down, uh, start at the, you know, you listed a few of them, but talking about incompetent cervix, those are, uh, a, there's a issue with the uh, integrity of the cervix. Generally, cervixes are closed and they have some depth to them. And for unknown reasons, and sometimes it's genetic, we actually see this passing down through families, that the, um, the matrix of the cervix is weakened and it just doesn't stay tight during pregnancy. I mean, it really, the cervix shouldn't budge until maybe the last month of pregnancy. And so in terms of exercising, I, I, you know, I think there's a big range of exercise. You know, there, there's just physical movement, going on walks and staying um, kind of stretched out is a good thing. And I think that that is a good thing for everybody. Um, and then in terms of the exertional and getting a, kind of progressing to more intense exercise, there's going to be a limit for what we would, we would put a limit on what people who have, uh, if they have a condition like incompetent cervix, uh, generally those patients are on some kind of modified bed rest uh, at times, uh, especially if they're having symptoms of cramping. Um, they're on pelvic rest as well, which means they're abstaining from intercourse. Uh, so we, all, we know that that can stimulate contractions and put more pressure on the cervix. So, you know, given those situations, we probably would refrain from any aggressive exercise, but I certainly do believe in going out for walks and just movement in general. I, I think being bedridden is, is a really difficult thing. Great. And so I would imagine these patients too would also be one of those from a physical therapy standpoint that we would not want to be indicating Kegel contractions because of the carryover that we can get into the cervix as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Um, I think a lot of people during pregnancy, you know, Dr. Google out there, everybody doesn't want to pee yeah. their pants during or after. And so I think yeah. that Kegel people think are safe, but I think this is a good aside to state, you know, if you're having any bleeding, you're having that um, incompetent cervix and you're on a modified bed rest or pelvic um, rest that that includes Kegel exercises, even though they yeah. seem simple, they can cause issues all the way up. Yeah, into yeah. And I think the overarching message here is, you know, we, we want to promote exercise and movement. Um, you know, if we're restricted because of a medical condition, um, I try to convey to my patients that this is just a temporary situation. 
and that, you know, for the time being, for the wellness of you and the baby and having a, in, and helping ensuring a good outcome, we're going to do these, we're going to put these restrictions on you. But that doesn't preclude that, you know, once we're done, have at it. You can go out and exercise and get everything back in shape. And that, you know, I think if we can put a time point on um, for the patient and a perspective, that kind of helps accept that, yeah, you can't do as much as you'd like during the pregnancy, but it's just short term. Right. At the end of the day, happy, healthy baby, happy, healthy mommy, right? Exactly. Exactly. Good. And then some of, I think, more of the obvious contraindications are premature labor during current pregnancy, ruptured membranes, or for lay terms, a broken water. Um, One thing that I was kind of curious about, one of the contraindications, is placenta privia after 26 weeks of gestation. Why is that? Uh, again, I, I wouldn't say they're on strict bed rest. I, I, um, I think that, like, again, going out for a walk, even going out for a swim, things that are not going to cause strenuous, um, not strenuous exercise where you're bearing down. Okay. Uh, w- with placenta previa, you have the placenta covering uh, the cervix, okay? And the cervix is... A di- can be kind of dynamic. It can dilate a little bit, and if we're starting to have contractions, and then that can disrupt the interface between the placenta and the cervix, and we can start some bleeding. Um, the concern is that there could be some blood vessels in that area that open up because of the activity on, of the cervix. And then if you think about the baby sitting right on top of that, uh, you've got kind of that, that pressure right on the placenta. So um, I think that, again, walking, doing some swimming, some light exercise are fine, but you certainly don't want to do any lifting, uh, any really intense aerobic exercises. We're doing a lot of jumping and bouncing. That just could, it just could exacerbate uh, a bleed. Okay. Those almost might be good patients to come in just for a visit or two to really teach them proper mechanics, even with daily activities. If they're already a mom of two or three and they're going to be lifting baby or car seat from, you know, baby number two, it's good to teach them how to exhale during the hardest part of the exercise. So that absolutely sure. Yeah. And, and that kind of, that carries over to exercise in general. I mean, Mm -hmm. we want to do our lifts correctly. We want to preserve our backs. And so uh, definitely, I think a consultation with you would be um, ideal. And then stretching, just, Mm -hmm. you know, just stretching out the the hamstrings, the quads, the hip flexors, that can be done safely with almost any of these conditions that were our absolute contraindications. Right. So. And these are contraindications primarily for like resistive or aerobic activity for sure. So I tell patients, even if you're having pain, you can come in for physical therapy. We can still do a lot to treat your pain without yeah. doing strenuous exercises if they fall into these contraindication categories for resistive or aerobic activity for sure. Yep. Yep. And then the last one on this list for the absolute contraindications is preeclampsia during pregnancy or pregnancy induced hypertension. Will you kind of describe to the patients or the listeners out there what a patient kind of looks like with that and why we are so concerned about these patients during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So preeclampsia is a syndrome. Um, it's onset and diagnosis is after the 20th week. And it's a situation where I kind of try to tell my patients that your body's kind of reacting against the pregnancy. It's not reacting well. And the body goes through changes where you have elevated 
elevated blood pressures, um, uh, the elevated pressures can cause end organ uh, effects on the kidney and the liver and the, and the head, the brain. Um, so when we see it, it, it presents often as high blood pressure, headaches, there's some proteinuria, which means it's affected the kidneys. And those are situations where we, we are watching our patients carefully. Um, the concern with preeclampsia is that the patient can go on to have eclampsia, which is actually a uh, seizure because of all the, 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 the systemic effects of the elevated blood pressure. Uh, and for those patients, we would have to follow their baby's growth carefully. The high blood pressure sometimes results in a smaller baby, lower fluid levels. Um, and so these patients are often put on um, some sort of bed rest. Uh, and I think bed rest in general is uh, an easy thing for us to recommend. Um, I think there are some studies that are not promoting bed rest and they're not saying that they're saying that the outcomes are not necessarily very different. Um, so I, I kind of like to get in the middle there somewhere and say, look, we don't want you to take on the world when you're pregnant with preeclampsia. We want you to really be smart about the activities you're undertaking and um, get some rest. And in general, I think resting uh, is not a bad thing in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're using a lot of metabolic energy to, to, to grow the baby. And so I think if we could just rest the patients a bit with preeclampsia, it does help. Um, and then pregnancy-induced hypertension is a version of that. You can kind of say that it's the step before preeclampsia sets in, and it's just, it's just high blood pressure. So pregnancy-induced hypertension, it sets in, uh, after, in the, uh, after the second trimester, and it is related to elevated blood pressures, uh, and it's only during pregnancy. So oftentimes we see that when patients finish their pregnancy and have delivered, their blood pressures will come down and they are, um, they're done with high blood pressure issues uh, for now. We do caution that there, um, there is some risk of developing high blood pressure later on in life. So we do want them to, to be in contact and get regular checkups and make sure that the blood pressure stays stable. Awesome. Thank you for that information. I know from a physical therapy standpoint, every patient that's coming in the door that's pregnant should be getting their blood pressure checked at every appointment because we are one of those care providers that are seeing them, you know, twice a week when maybe the OB is only seeing them at the point at the once every four weeks. Sure. And so yeah. we can kind of be that provider that might be catching some of these early signs and symptoms of um, pregnancy induced yeah. hypertension. That's excellent because um, sometimes there's no symptoms. And right. patients are walking around with elevated blood pressures. And uh, the early we know that, the better. So if, if doing blood pressures at the physical therapy office is great. So from your standpoint, for a physical therapist or even a patient, if they're taking them on their own, because I know there's a couple conditions out there where they're in your office and their blood pressure looks great. It's almost like the reverse white coat sure. syndrome. And then they're out and they have this idiopathic high blood pressure every every other day besides when they're in your office. And so what is a good indicator if they are having multiple blood pressures in the 130 over, you know, 85 multiple days in a row, is that a good time? And they should be calling you up and saying, Hey, I'm, I've been noticing my blood pressure is mm -hmm. high. What should we be doing? Yeah, I think that that's uh, definitely a flag that goes up that we you know be watching that the tendency is that their blood pressure is going to continue to uh, go up. 
as pregnancy continues. I think, you know, it's pregnancy is stressful. Um, in the third trimester, you're, you're, you're a lot heavier, your knees hurt, your hips hurt, you're not sleeping well. And I think cumulatively that does bring the blood pressure up a little bit in patients. And so we want to watch that and hopefully it doesn't develop into anything serious like preeclampsia, but 130s over 80s, we'll, we will definitely be watching the blood pressures closer. Awesome. All right. So now we've kind of gone over the absolute contraindications for exercise based on the ACOG and the Canadian Clinical Practice Guidelines. So now we'll kind of go into relative contraindications. So for patients, this is kind of like the yellow flag, the caution flag. Those absolute contraindications, those are like the stop sign. Those are you're having these, you should not be doing exercise. Relative contraindications are more of a a caution. We need to be looking out after these people a little bit more, but it doesn't mean that they should not be participating in activity. And I think like we've been touching on a few times throughout this conversation, we're specifically talking about resistance and aerobic activity, going out on daily walks, having some gentle activity, not just being sitting at work been going home and sitting on the couch. That's not what we're talking about here, but we're talking about specific exercise contraindications. So kind of going down some of the relative contraindications, that would be severe anemia. So patients with that, that I see seem to be very lethargic. Um, they don't have as much energy. They fatigue easily with some of their mm -hmm. exercises. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine from your standpoint, you can actually do the blood work to show these patients that are having severe anemia, what's going on from that standpoint. With these individuals, what are they, are they being managed medically? Are you just watching over? At what point is there an increase in iron needed? Yeah, so we, we do a screening for iron levels or hematocrit at 28 weeks when we do the glucose test. And um Many patients are just mildly anemic, and we call that actually a dilutional anemia. Uh, not necessarily low in red blood cell count, but the blood plasma levels have gone up naturally in pregnancy, so it kind of dilutes out the red blood cell concentration. So it's a relative anemia. So for patients with a hematocrit, so normal hematocrit range generally is about 36 to 40, 41, depending on your lab, uh, the specific lab parameters that you're using. Uh, but then if we see a drop down to, say, between 32 and 35, we'll start them on some iron tablets. It's not a severe anemia. Um, oftentimes, it does give them a little bit of energy boost. Uh, but in anticipation of delivery, it's nice to have a healthy hematocrit going into delivery, so we will treat them. When we start dropping below 30, 28, we get a little more concerned that we're, we have um, a more severe anemia. Uh, we'll also do a workup to make sure that there isn't some other kind of blood disorder that's creating the anemia and it's not just dilutional anemia. Um, and for those patients, we will put them on more iron. Uh, recently, I had a patient, we actually needed to do iron infusion because the hematocrit was so low and it wasn't responding so well to um, just iron tablets. Um, and in general, the reason for the it, being this being a relative contraindication is that your red blood cells are your oxygen carriers and they deliver oxygen to your muscles and your body to your organs everywhere and so when you have fewer of them you're not delivering oxygen as well and you know classically you know the blue lips you know that's that's sometimes you're cold but we also use that as an assessment say on 
on the newborn. And that kind of cyanotic appearance is a, is a um, indication that there's not enough oxygenation going around. So we certainly don't want to get to that point when we are pregnant, especially since you know we have this precious little package that we're growing. And that, that's our priority where oxygen should be going. And so then your large muscle groups um, will be competing with the oxygen for what's going to the baby. So with severe anemia, uh, you know, we're going to treat that so that we can get the patient feeling better. And then once they're feeling better, see how they do, see how they tolerate ex exercise. But if it's, if it's really difficult for them to take on any kind of exercise more rigorous than walking and stretching, then, yeah, maybe we just we do have to kind of sit out the the more rigorous exercise during pregnancy. So it's kind of these contraindications in pregnancy, I think, are really a, more of a case by case uh, situation where you need to chat with your doctor, see what your capacities are, have your doctor look over your whole chart, and just get an idea of what you think the patient can tolerate. Yeah, I know from a physical therapy standpoint, if a patient's starting to get some, you know, demonstrating signs of easy fatigue, I will use the pulse oximeter to show where is your oxygen saturation, because I know patients with some anemia, if they're having difficulties with this oxygen transport, it's going to demonstrate on a pulse oximeter, and it's such an easy thing to be doing during an exercise program. It's the least invasive is just a little kind of sensor that goes on the patient's finger during exercise. For those listeners out there, if you're having fatigue, I mean, you can find one for $10 at Walgreens. If you're concerned about your oxygen during exercise, it's a very easy way to monitor it, especially with all these like smart watches and things out there. Those are helping with monitoring your heart rate. They're not going to give you your pulse oximeter. That's a specific monitor that you're going to need in addition to your, your gadget or your Fitbit. So I think for patients that might be having this difficulty but really want to continue their exercise program, getting a pulse oximeter and physical therapists monitoring that with a pulse oximeter throughout their exercise program is a way to stay on top of it and make sure that you are providing safe intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of generally, uh, since, you know, they're, they're watched closely in the, in the physical therapy office, we'll watch them in our office. Uh, I kind of give some parameters on what patients should be watching for when they're out on their own. And, um, you know, very simple. If it's not feeling good and you're lightheaded, you're dizzy, you're faint, you just got to stop. Uh, then, then that's just we're, we're done at that point. Talk to your doctor, see what that, was it situational or is this kind of the way it's going to be for the pregnancy? So um, really patients have to be in tune with their body and not push it beyond something that is obviously not a good thing, like feeling like you're going to faint. For sure. For sure. We'll, we'll continue through these relative contraindications and then next we're going to go through those warning signs to stop exercise. But that's exactly, the, those are two of the main ones that patients have a very good awareness of and that are easy to measure for sure. So a couple more of these like relative contraindications, you know, chronic bronchitis, um, poorly controlled type one diabetes. What does that mean? What does that look like? What is poorly controlled type one diabetes during pregnancy look like? Mm -hmm. So um, these patients type one generally means that this has been going on for a while onset at a young age uh, and they're insulin requiring. Uh, I, I think that 
when you're saying poorly controlled, they're on insulin and we're just not getting their blood sugars in a good range. And sometimes the, it, we, go, we go too high, their blood sugars run too high, and then we add in more insulin and then it drops down and patients are faint because their blood sugars are too low. So you overshoot and you undershoot. And I think that's the difficulty. That's what one version of what poorly controlled can mean. Uh, and I think in general, diabetes and exercise correlate well with better outcomes. And I, uh, so that's where the relativity comes through. I think that you still need to incorporate some exercise in a diabetic. It just helps with their um, metabolism and their insulin resistance uh, and just overall health. I, I think anytime you're going to take away exercise from a patient, you got to really be careful about what you're saying to the yeah. patient. I think this is a good time to kind of talk about how, you know, that gestational diabetes exercise is one of the major contributing factors prior to and early pregnancy that can help to prevent that gestational diabetes. And I think a lot of women don't understand if they have gestational diabetes, their chance of getting type 2 diabetes later in life is significantly elevated. And so if they are able to begin an exercise program early on in pregnancy to help decrease the chances of gestational diabetes, that's going to help to decrease their chance of type 2 diabetes later on in life. And I think, you know, starting with an exercise program during pregnancy is a really good time because we want to start living that active and healthy lifestyle. We want to create the best environment for that fetus and, and hopefully continue yeah. that throughout the rest of the life. And maybe this is the time that the change is, is needed and yeah, definitely. when we're ready to take action. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I think now we can kind of talk, one of the relative contraindications is extreme morbid obesity. And I believe this is definitely a hot topic and, you know, every woman deserves and should have that chance to become a mother. And because of being obese should not scare women from becoming pregnant. And I want to make that very clear during this conversation and that this is the time for those individuals to take control of their lifestyle habits and make the change for their life, for their child's life. Mm -hmm. um, and it is safe to begin an exercise program even if you have morbid obesity. That is why it is listed under this relative contraindication and not absolute contraindication. So I want to set Definitely. that standard right now. Everybody should be exercising. It doesn't matter where your weight is unless you are extremely underweight or you have an eating disorder like anorexia or bulimia nervosa. So I think that's kind of a good aside to take right now is that you can start exercising and you should start exercising. If you're a listener Definitely. and you are overweight, don't think that it's unsafe for you to exercise during pregnancy because it, it is. Yeah, def I definitely agree with that. Um, pregnancy should not be looked at as a handicap. It's, uh, it could be an ideal time for you know, maintaining your exercise program or even adopting a new program. A lot of patients kind of use this as a springboard to, to change their lifestyle. Uh, smoking cessation, just being healthier because you're going to be responsible for caring for a child and it takes a lot of energy to do that. So the better you're feeling, you know, I think the better you'll, you'll enjoy being a parent. 
How do those conversations go with you for patients that are heavy smokers when you're bringing up that hot topic of cessation and when, you know, they've been a pack a day for 10 years? How does that conversation go for you? Well, I, actually, it goes pretty well. You have a very motivated audience, uh, and they all know this is like this is we've got to start cutting down. And and we actually do see some uh, good changes that patients are making. Uh, they're cutting down from their heavy smoking history to you know, from a pack a day and saying, "Oh, I'm at you know, six a day now." And then the next visit, they're down to two a day, and then they're down to one a day, and they'll say, "Oh, I'm off," but every now and then I just need one. And you know, if you look at the progression, that's great. So the effects on the body, the effects on the baby are just, are, are great. So I have a, people know what they should do, right? Very true. We don't, you don't need to be, have a doctor tell you to stop smoking. The nice thing about pregnancy is that it's a springboard. It's a very natural motivating force for a patient to kind of adopt more healthy lifestyles. For sure. And then um, I would say the other two major ones on here for the relative contraindications that we can touch on are intrauterine growth restrictions in current pregnancy. So I know for my patients when they're coming in the door and they're, you know, second, third trimester, I'm asking them every appointment, how are you measuring? Are you measuring on time? Because of that specific relative contraindication and for women out there with exercise or physical therapists listening to this, that should be a conversation that you're having with patients, especially after their last visit with the OB because they're measuring every appointment. How are you looking? And mm -hmm. I would definitely take precautions if those patients are starting to fall behind in their measurements and maybe take a little slowdown, make sure, have that conversation about nutrition. Are we getting that adequate, you know, average 300 calories extra a day for proper fueling for the, the pregnant woman as well as the fetus. And um, that can be a specific issue for that intrauterine um, growth restriction. There may be obvious other underlying issues as well, but just staying on top of it. And that is a very quick, easy question that you can ask while you're sure. doing the blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think it's great. I think having an attentive uh, physical therapist who knows you work with the obstetrician, but um, understanding this, the conditions of the patient when you walk into the physical therapy office is, is great because then we, you know, we build this, this trust when we work together. Like we're not, I'm not worried that you're going to have any patients do something crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And having that good open dialogue, being able to reach out, get a hold of the MA really quickly and to say, Hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? Nothing can hurt by doing that. That's Absolutely. for sure. Always yeah. err on yeah. the side of caution, especially when we have these precious lives in our hands. <laughs> For sure. Awesome. So I think we've touched on most of the relative contraindications. We kind of touched on the morbid obesity. So I think what I'd like to talk about next, um, transition into the PAR-MED-X for pregnancy. And so mm -hmm. for, our for our listeners out there, this is the Physical Activity Readiness Medical Examination, and this was published by the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology and was updated in 2015, and it is all based on research. If anybody listening has questions or wants citations, at the end of this podcast, there is going to be an email that you can you can write any questions to, and myself, Dr. Horvath, can definitely give you any of the citations or greater explanation on anything that we've been talking about. Um, 
But this Parmed X for pregnancy is a good way for practitioners to approach the obesity topic with patients and prescribe exercise. It is designed to be used by the um, by the OBGYN and then the patient is to take it to their care provider. And so what it includes is, you know, they the patients fill out a survey kind of talking about how their current pregnancy is going in regards to general health status, like, you know, any miscarriages, any other complications, um, fatigue, spotting, faintness. It's pretty much a questionnaire about all of these contraindications we just went through to make sure that there's nothing standing out. And then it kind of asks questions about frequency and time of day, um, tobacco use. So I love this um, assessment for practitioners to be able to quickly assess any of those contraindication, red flag, caution flags that are out there for exercise so they know if it's a good patient to um, prescribe physical therapy, as well as the prescription for aerobic therapy. On here, it specifically has target fitness level or BMI, and then what their heart rate range should be during exercise. And so I think this is a really good um, option for patients and uh, physicians to utilize when having that conversation with our obese patients because on this recommendation it has BMI greater than 25 and on that it is stating where their heart rate range should be. Um, uh, and as we know heart rate can be a little bit difficult to measure during pregnancy because of the average beats per minute increasing about 20. So I I enjoy using the rating of perceived exertion, um, which is a scale between 16 and 20. And um, research shows that our pregnant ladies should be working out at a somewhat hard level, which is numbers between 12 and 14. However, those are great numbers and all, but I think the real life answer to that is the talk test, right? The talk test being, can you perform an aerobic activity while having a conversation and not getting out of breath, not needing to take a pause? And I think that is the, the greatest one for patients to understand. And I know from my standpoint, I haven't seen um, any practitioners at this point in time giving this out to patients. And unfortunately, I haven't seen many obese patients walking into my office for exercise. So I do think this might be an underserved population that is not getting exercise prescription or physical therapy prescription. And I don't know if it's because of a sensitive topic or physicians um, want to err on the side of caution. What, what do you think after reading over this kind of study, the, the program, what do you feel like is kind of the, this is the research, where do you feel like the real life implication of this PARMED-X with pregnancy lies, Dr. Horvath? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think what we want to respect is that we get all different kinds of patients uh, coming into our clinic. And um, there are patients who exercise regular, that's their daily habit or their regular habit during the week. And um, they're, they're going to exercise in pregnancy. Uh, I think it's a big lifestyle change for patients who are not used to that idea of exercising. Uh, and there are really, there are people, and we have to respect that, that don't value exercise the way uh, you know, the rest of the population is and, or, or the way we think. And, and we have to respect that, not look at them like, are you crazy? Uh, but we have to understand that this is their belief system. This is what they believe in. Um, and so, again, we kind of maybe try to springboard from there and say, hey, you know, this is a good time to try to get more um, 
more exercise in, this, you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby on the way, that baby's going to be busy, you're going to be running around after a toddler. How about, what do you think about getting in shape now or getting it into a shape where you feel like you can run around with this baby all and toddler when they're little? And so, um, so kind of judging, engaging where your patient's coming from, I think is really important and not to make them feel bad that they haven't been exercising, but kind of gently introduce that activity is a good thing. Um, and I think that if you if you look at the recommendations from the American College of OBGYN, they 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 imply that. Um, of course, they come right out and say, "Oh yeah, our recommendation is 150 minutes of exercise per week, 20 to 30 minutes, at about five times a week." Right? Mm -hmm. That's the ideal. And sure, if we got a patient like that, great. They, they don't need me. They don't need physical therapy. They, they got it, right? But I think this PARMED-X is to try to kind of guide people who may be a little worried about getting into exercise. And then the committee, the ACOG goes on to say, if you are just starting out, these aren't the targets you have to be hitting. Because some people look at that and say, forget it. No way. I'm not going to get there, right? But even if we get them out 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, go for a walk, go for a rigorous walk swing those arms, go up a hill. Um, and they can actually discover they're feeling a little better, like a little bit more exercise, they're feeling a little better. And so they start catching on. And I think that this, it res they respect that now in this, in the ACOG guidelines is that not everyone's going to come in at top aerobic capacity and fitness when they're pregnant. They wish they did. Everyone wishes that, right? But, you know, we do understand it we, and we respect that there are different kinds of patients out there. So, yeah, I really liked this uh, Parmedics for the sedentary individual. Their recommendations is just starting 15 minutes, three times a week you know, getting up to that moderate activity, still in, within that talk test, um, trying to get up to the four times a week for 30 minutes, and then reaching that ACOG guideline, moderate activity, five days a week. I like to really put these um, generalized sedentary or obese patients that may have some apprehension into that mm -hmm. aquatics. They yeah. love the water, low, low impact, because with obesity, we know we have greater joint pain. Mm -hmm. um, they mm -hmm. may be holding on to a little bit more water. And so getting them into the aquatic setting can help with that hydrostatic pressure, get any of that peripheral edema under control, which is really helpful, um, keeps, keeps pain down. The perceived exertion level in the aquatics is lower than land-based activity. So if they are trying to, you know, they come into the, the office, you know, I tried to get going, I tried to start walking every other day for 15 minutes, but man, now my back, my knees, my feet, everything is just hurting and I'm already pregnant, you know, and I yeah. think those patients are great referrals to get them into the, into the pool. They're nice, generally a therapeutic pool. Now don't go in and swim laps on like an 80, 75 degree pool. You know, we still want them comfortable and compliant. So I think getting them in, doing, you know, aerobic walking in a pool, a lot of the pools out there now have lazy rivers so they can, you know, start with walking with the river and then, oh, that's getting easy. Let's start walking against the river or, or no resistance at all. And so that can be a nice way for those individuals to achieve and feel happy about their activity level and know that it's, it's not hurting them, that they're, that they're going to be feeling better and that it's, it's happy, healthy for baby and for mom. Definitely. 
So I would encourage any physical therapists out there or any individuals with more of a sedentary life to, if you just get on and you Google PAR Med X for pregnancy, you can kind of look over these different guidelines and maybe bring them into your physician. Say, hey, I was listening to a podcast. They, rec they, they talked about this assessment and I would like to start exercising. I would like to start turning that corner and, and be act more active in my life. This is a really good option to bring to your physician and, and they can go over it with you and make sure that there's no red flags, caution flags, and have that conversation, either refer you to a physical therapist to start that program or make easy recommendations that they can start on their own. And again, anybody with aches and pains during pregnancy, physical therapy is an awesome option. Even if you are on modified bed rest, you can still walk into the clinic and get hands-on with stretching, with soft tissue mobilization, with gentle joint mobilization without crossing that barrier into the contraindications, pushing activity. We can still be hands-on with the patient, make them feel better during pregnancy without specific strengthening or aerobic activity. So kind of knowing that now, I think this is a good time to transition now into what are the warning signs to stop exercise? Again, not everybody, mm -hmm. unfortunately, can exercise through their entire pregnancy, even as much as we would like to. And so... I think some of the easy ones for individuals to understand are, you know, the vaginal bleeding, the dizziness, mm -hmm. um, chest pain, calf pain or swelling, contractions, um, fluid leaking from the vagina. However, there's a couple ones on these warning signs that I think we should emphasize because people may not understand the issues that may be happening underlying because of it. One of them for mm -hmm. me is headache. You know, I think a lot of people suffer from headaches. And so understanding the difference between a pregnancy related headache, that's a concern versus a tension related headache. And so kind of headache, from my understanding, headaches that are kind of a, a stop because of pregnancy related is those ones where it's it's pounding it's more frontal temporal um it's not the one starting at the base of the neck and working their way around those ones are the tension related headaches but the blood flow restriction related headaches mm -hmm. those are the ones that we want to be watching out for and so i want to be clear to those listeners out there that not every headache is the same and knowing your body. If you're a person that's always had chronic headaches, understanding the difference between your headache and a new headache is very, very important. Um, as well as calf pain and swelling. Um, unfortunately, with pregnancy, we are at a higher risk for blood clotting. And so um, there's, the, there's the wells um, category that we can look into from a provider standpoint. You know, is it red? Is it swelling? Is it different from right and left? Um, and so I think that's been a very well standardized program. And that's another thing patients can Google really easily is the Wells criteria. Um, and if, if you're noticing a single-sided leg swelling calf pain, that is a red flag. And you should most definitely be seeking medical attention immediately. A, a blood clot is nothing to be poo-poo about. It is very significant and it can travel up to the pulmonary system very, very quickly. One of them on here that I have a question about is decreased fetal movement. What are you telling patients in that regard? What is your standard and 
how can patients really assess that during exercise and during daily activities mm -hmm. even to know, okay, something is not right now. I need to go sure. in. Right. Yeah. So that's always uh, a panic when you feel like your baby hasn't been moving enough. And thankfully, thank goodness, most of the time, it's really just having the patient take some time out and resting and just kind of focusing on fetal movement and we're fine. But in general, what we counsel patients on, on what is enough movement, what's not enough movement is a fetal kick count test. And those can be done and counted in different ways. Um, my personal uh, favorite, because it's quicker and, and shorter, is um, law of threes. So three times a day, three movements in 30 minutes. Okay, and that if you if you meet that criteria, you've met the criteria where we are re, where we are reassured that baby is moving fine. Um, a lot of times we can get calls from patients who feel like the baby's not moving, but you ask them where they are, they're at work, it was a busy, stressful day, and we're just not as aware of all the movements when we have so much external uh, uh, stress going on. So luckily, most of us, you know, we tell them to go get something to eat or drink and lie down in a quiet room, focus just on the baby, and three movements, three times a day, three times a day, three movements for 30 minutes. That's great. I love that. I will definitely be using that with my patients. I think having easy mnemonics or yeah, this rule of threes makes it easy for patients to like, okay, I can remember that. I got that for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so now I'd like to move into some of the positionings and contraindications during exercises that should be avoided because, you know, a lot of women out there just want to continue with what they've been doing, whether it's, it's yoga or a reformer Pilates class or marathon running even. And um, I want to first start off by saying that high level activity has been found to be safe with pregnancy. There are many articles out there that have reassured runners that you can run safely throughout your pregnancy. If you have no contraindications, you have nothing going on. If you're an Olympic weightlifter even, you can continue with your exercises. However, there are some rules. One of them being, we don't want your heart rate being above 90% 90, 90 of your max heart rate. And that is because at that point in time, that is when we are cutting off fetal blood circulation. And so that is a very easy um, thing to measure. Um, you just take your, your age versus 220, you subtract that, that's your max, and then your 90% of that. If you are above that, then we need to be toning back your anaerobic activity that is not safe during pregnancy. Another thing we want to be avoiding is supine or exercises where you're laying on your back starting around 26 weeks of pregnancy. Again, your body is going to tell you if you're in a position that's unsafe, um, but the general guidelines is avoiding exercises lying on your back or inverted, right? So that comes down to even the simple bridge activity really is not the safest for our pregnant women moving into that third trimester. Um, you have those hardcore um, exercisers that might be CrossFitters and they really enjoy doing the handstand push-up. Probably not the best exercise to be continuing during pregnancy. And as long as we're not doing Valsalva with some of your other heavy lifting activities, I'm not going to tell my CrossFitters, I'm not going to tell my marathoners to stop doing what they're going to do. They're going to be out of my office before I can blink an eye. And so I think understanding, like we have stated earlier, that there is a 
multitude of activity levels of individuals during pregnancy. They could be the sedentary obese. They could be the active marathon runner that is fueling properly, that has the proper technique and understanding of their body to continue with that high level activity throughout their pregnancy. And again, understanding these, these stop signs and, and having that open dialogue with the therapist, with their, with their physician is very important in order to continue that active lifestyle. That is very important psychologically for these individuals mm -hmm. too. A lot of runners like that is their life. If they don't get out and run one day, I mean, they, their mood is affected. And so I think, we need to find that healthy balance and find what's right for mom and for baby. And so um, just knowing we, we need to be feeling right. If we're exercising excessively, that's great, but we need to make sure that we are fueling properly to watching mm -hmm. our weight, making sure our measurements are staying on track with our physicians during our, our appointments, making sure our heart rate is staying intact. That is where I love these devices out there these days. If I have that heavy exerciser during pregnancy, I want to make sure that they are constantly monitoring their heart rate during that activity. And the other big thing is heat, right? Yeah, Hot yoga, sure. not what you want to be doing during pregnancy. We do not need to be elevating heart rate. I think a lot of people automatically go to, oh, I know I shouldn't be in a hot tub. That's great. But if you live in Phoenix in the summer running outdoors, not your idea right now. And again, I understand runners, they want to be outside. A treadmill is not the same, but you got to think at the end of the day, you want a happy, healthy baby and coming down to setting that time restraint, like we talked about earlier, it's nine months or it's only six months or it's only three months. And just, yep. it's going to be a small blurb of time in your life. And to have a healthy baby, I think we can both agree that this is the best decision for you right now. Um, just kind of finding that happy medium for those individuals. But I would say the biggest, you know, contradictions are don't lay on your back and don't be inverted after your third trimester fuel properly and don't exercise that's going to increase your metabolic or your your temperature too high are, yeah. are there any other safety yeah. oh, and then of course yeah. like the the impact sports um anything where we could have um an impact whether it's it's soccer or whether it's you know skiing is definitely a relative one if you if you're a confident skier you've been skiing your whole life then I think you understand your limits and you can be downhill skiing. But then we kind of can cross over to that threshold of elevation, right? We get into too high mm -hmm. of an elevation and now our oxygen saturation can decrease. So I think at the end of the day, listen to your body. You know, you are going to know if things are not right. If you've been skiing your whole life and you go down a run and things aren't feeling right, take a break, listen to your body. Don't push it. This is not the time of your life to be meet, meeting your one rep max or to be, you know, trying to get your speed run down the mountain. This is a time to be healthy and active, but finding that right balance. Um, are there anything yeah. else that, that you would say for yeah. patients out there? Yeah, I, I, I think you, your highlights are great. They're right on, on target. Um, a couple things to add. Uh, so you touched on it, contact sports obviously you're not going to want to be doing any kind of hockey boxing soccer it's that fluke incident uh that you don't want to have to regret okay for the most part you're probably just fine but there's a there's some if you're putting yourself in a situation where you could get hit in the abdomen 
I just don't think it's worth it for that, for just that time period when you're pregnant. Uh, and this is also more kind of as you're getting larger, your, your sense of balance is a little bit off. Your center of gravity is different when you're, as you're growing. And that center of gravity is a moving target. As you get bigger, your center of gravity is going to move. And sometimes women are more clumsy. So I kind of caution them on balancing exercises, exercises that require balance. Uh, road bike, skiing, all that, they require a certain amount of balance. And if you feel like you're clumsy, I think we just want to back off on those exercises. You don't want to take a bad fall. Right? <laughs> so um, and <laughs> uh, and the, other, uh, the other interesting dynamic that happens in pregnancy is we produce this uh, hormone called relaxin naturally produced when you're pregnant and it, it, it actually relaxes your joints. So you do have some joint laxity and so careful, just, you know, you might, you might stretch or strain a ligament a little more easily uh, because of uh, this, this hormone. Awesome. Well, I have loved this podcast so far. Um, for our listeners out there, Dr. Horfath, out of all the content we've kind of discussed today, what do you feel like is the take-home message? What do you feel like if they don't remember anything from this podcast, what is the one thing that you think that they should really hone in on? Uh, regular physical activity is a great thing, and we modify it to the patient. But and, and the beauty of pregnancy is it's an opportunity to maintain what you're doing and if you're a high-level athlete, you can maintain that. Or if you're just starting out, you're trying to get back in shape, it's a great springboard to, to get going. And for those who are not um, used to exercising, it's a curiosity, I think, that they can explore. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Horvath, for coming on this show with me and having this awesome discussion on exercise and pregnancy. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you would like to speak with a specialist, please email podcast at mlrehab.com. Thank you again for listening, and please tune in next month for our topic on labor and delivery, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thank you. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published, or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountain Land Physical Therapy.